Welcome to the Eczema Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Julia Chen. I'm here to help you heal your eczema naturally so you can finally live your best damn life. Many years ago in my own eczema healing journey, I was stuck and confused on how to heal my skin. Fast forward to today, after many lessons learned and lots of trial and error, I'm now living my best life and traveling the world with clearer skin. If you're an eczema or TSW warrior who desires a life of food freedom and is wanting to heal your skin without steroids while using mindset and manifestation as a tool, you're in the right place. Now let's get into it. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome to another episode of the Eczema Warrior podcast. I am, again, (laughs) laying in my bed. I feel like this is like my ritual now where I just record my favorite podcast episodes in my bed. And I'm actually snacking on some chips right now. I got these chips from Trader Joe's. They are everything bagel seasoned potato chips. Absolutely delicious. Of course, you cannot get this type of stuff in Canada. America always has the best type of foods. Anyway, so today's topic is all about whether or not you should avoid foods. And clearly, based on what I'm having tonight at 9 p.m. in the evening, says a lot when it comes to avoiding foods for healing eczema. In other words, you don't necessarily need to. But before I dive into all the nitty-gritty, my two cents, the science, um, the reasoning behind why you should avoid foods or not, I want to do a quick life update. So last weekend... I spontaneously decided to go on a trip with my best friend and we actually drove down to Portland for the weekend. And no, we didn't go see the man. (laughs) There's no way. We actually went there to visit some other friends who live in Portland. My girlfriend has a few friends down there and I also have a few friends down there as well. So we stayed at an Airbnb, super cute, on the east side of Portland. And then we spent... Saturday going to this really cool soaking pool where you can actually have food and drinks in this old looking building. (laughs) So what's interesting about this building is that not only do they have a soaking pool, but the classrooms, because it used to be a school, the classrooms, they actually made it into little restaurants or they make it into a bar. So that was really cool. I have a friend down there in Portland. He showed us the school and We walked around, we checked out the bars, and went to the soaking pool. So that was nice on a Saturday, beautiful day in Portland. And then we had lunch at one of the food trucks in Portland. And then in the evening, we ended up going out, having some fun. We went to an arcade called Quarter World, which is like my favorite arcade in Portland. It was really busy though, so we didn't stay very long. And then after that, we just went bar hopping. Portland's known for really cool dive bars so we went to some of those and then my friend took me to some cocktail bars because he knows that I like cocktails (laughs) he also has a motorcycle so he took me on a motorcycle ride so that was really cool and I haven't been on a motorcycle since like 2018 or 2017 and the last time I went on it was when I was like super drunk (laughs) and it was like a five minute ride so it didn't really count as a motorcycle ride So he actually took me around Portland and he drove up into basically this like really foresty area of Portland. So that was nice. And then on Sunday, we went grocery shopping. So this is where I got all my groceries from Trader Joe's. 
if you guys saw me on my Instagram story, I did a whole grocery haul and a lot of you guys loved it. <laughs> so I bought a bunch of stuff from Trader Joe's in Portland and then actually stopped by another grocery store on the way home. Went to Whole Foods and picked up a couple more things. So that was basically our trip. It was a short three-day trip, but it was nice to just get away. Last week was really busy, so it was nice to kind of just have a little vacation for me and my girlfriend and catch up. So yeah, that's basically pretty much a life update in terms of what's been going on over the past week. And then this weekend, not much going on except my girlfriends want to do a girls' night. So we're going to have some dinner, go for drinks, and then maybe go dancing. We haven't really decided yet, but it's not going to be too crazy of a weekend because last weekend I definitely did not sleep as much as I wanted to sleep. I think I went to bed at like 5 a.m. one night and woke up at 10. <laughs> so I had a five-hour sleep and then I was a driver down to Portland and back home to Vancouver. So yeah, it was a busy weekend. Okay, so that's pretty much the life update. Let's get into today's episode. Should you avoid foods or not? Okay, this is a big one. I feel like diet is such such a big, 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 big component when it comes to healing eczema. However, I think a lot of people actually approach it in the way that we're not supposed to approach it. A lot of people tend to focus on avoiding foods rather than focusing on adding foods. By just me sharing that, I think you might kind of guess what I'm going to talk about in this episode, but I want to dive into deeper about what happens when you avoid foods for longer than a few months, what foods to actually consider removing out of your diet if you really need to, and what is the actual long-term solution when it comes to healing your eczema. And so when we are trying to heal our skin, a lot of us tend to go straight into the diet. For whatever reason, it's like the first thing people think of, okay, I have eczema, I'm going to go on a diet. I wish it wasn't like that because if it was that easy to heal eczema with diet, everybody would literally be healed. However, as you know, it's hard. You may have been on an elimination diet or on these really restrictive diets and have not seen the results that you want to see. First of all, avoiding foods doesn't get to the root cause of why you develop eczema in the first place. And I think there's a lot of misconception around thinking that food is the issue. That's why you might be avoiding foods because you think, okay, maybe it's the dairy, maybe it's the gluten, maybe it's the sugar. Let me just remove everything out of my diet and then see if that's going to help. Now, Yes, maybe some people do see some changes with their skin. However, what's going to happen when you start adding those foods back into your diet, right? Maybe you start reacting. It's very, very possible. We see a lot of clients who come to me being on a very strict diet where they avoid vegetables and fruit and carbs. And then now it's really hard for them to add those foods back because they've been avoiding it for so long. So you really have to think about the long-term solution here and not the short-term solution. Because again, it doesn't get to the root cause. And do you really want to live a life where you cannot eat anything, right? You want a long-term solution for healing your eczema where you can live a life of food freedom. I know you want to eat the cake. I know you want to eat the gluten. I know you want to eat the chips, just like literally how I am right now. 
without having any food anxiety. And so if I can help you get there to heal your eczema without going on a strict diet, I'm all here for it. So avoiding foods is not a long-term solution. Yes, it can be helpful in the short term, especially if you're trying to figure out whether or not you actually have a food sensitivity. Now that's the thing. A lot of people will go on these elimination diets to see if they actually have a food sensitivity to the foods that they're avoiding. However, the problem that I see often is that people end up being on these diets for way too long. And that's the problem. The longer that you are avoiding foods, the higher chance of you actually developing allergies to these foods. I went to the Eczema Expo last year in Seattle and one of the allergists, she was stressing about this point about how when you are trying to figure out if you have an allergy to a food and you avoid it for longer than three months, there's a higher chance of developing actual allergies to these foods. So you have to be really, really careful with what you're avoiding, why you're doing it, and how long you're avoiding it too. Because the longer you avoid these foods, the more difficult it is for you to add them back. I had one client who unfortunately was on a salicylate diet for over two to three years. And when she came to see me, we started working very hard on addressing her root causes because these salicylates were not her root cause. She had an overworked liver that caused her to have these salicylate intolerances. And so two to three years on a restricted diet is a very long time. And I'll be honest, it was a challenge, okay? It was a challenge adding these foods back. It took maybe four or five months until we actually started to be able to add a few foods back. She just kept reacting to it. You know, her body just perceived those foods that she was avoiding as allergens, as a foreign substance. So it was really challenging for us to add foods back. Is it possible though? Yes, we were definitely able to add some foods back, but it honestly was very challenging and it took longer than it needed to be. So if you're avoiding foods right now, please, first of all, get help, work with a registered dietitian. I can help you figure out how to add foods back. There's a proper way of doing that. Don't avoid foods if you don't really need to, because there's just more risks of avoiding foods more than anything. That being said, if you are trying to trial removal of a type of food from your diet, you can certainly do that. I'm not saying that that's not something to consider. Sometimes people do need to test foods to see if they actually have a reaction or sensitivity. Now, the gold standard when it comes to testing food is actually removing the food out of your diet for a few weeks and then add it back into your diet. There's another misconception about food sensitivity testing, which, oh man, I am so against it, you guys. (laughs) I get so mad when I see so many clients given these long ass reports of all the foods they have to avoid. So what these food sensitivity tests usually test for are the presence of IgG antibodies, which is a normal response that happens from your immune system when you are exposed to a particular food. However, the problem with this is that 
Most of the time when people get these tests done, they are already exposed to the foods that show up on this test. So that's why a lot of the reports, they come up as high in everything. But of course, it's going to be high in everything. You've literally been eating those foods. When your body is exposed to certain foods, the IgG levels that come up are related to how often you're exposed to it. So meaning if you're going to go get this food sensitivity test done and you've been eating broccoli, you've been eating pepper, you've been eating peanuts, you've been eating a regular diet, then your IgG levels are going to show up high because that's exactly what IgG levels, how they change is when you're exposed to the food in question. So it makes no sense (laughs) to do food sensitivity testing because of this reason, because you're literally testing for the foods that you're eating already, and it's going to show up high because you've been exposed to it. Unless, for whatever reason, you haven't eaten these foods for a long, 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 long time, and then the IgG levels do show up high, then it might make more sense. However, most of the time when people do these tests, they've been eating these foods, so when they get the test done, of course it's going to show up high in the IgG levels with these particular foods. And then the report ends up being like 10 pages long with all these foods you have to avoid. And then you start getting food anxiety. And then you start worrying about what happens when I go out to eat. How am I going to cook my meals? You start to panic about whether or not these foods are going to make you flare. Does it make you flare or does it not make you flare? And then you're just in the cycle of just fear around food and what to do and how to heal. And it's just not a fun time. Okay. It's very stressful and it's highly not recommended if you're trying to figure out whether or not foods are your trigger. Again, the gold standard to determining if you have a food sensitivity is to trial removal of the food from your diet and then add it back three to four weeks later under guidance of a practitioner like a dietitian. This is truly the best way to figure out if you have a food sensitivity. You know your body best more than anything else, more than a test can do. And so if you can literally do it this way under guidance, it's going to be so much easier for you. Plus, you don't have to avoid a bunch of foods you don't need to avoid. And most of the time what I've seen is that people don't actually have sensitivities as much as they think they do, right? So... Moral of the story, please don't waste your money on food sensitivity testing. Do it the way that is proven in research, which is to basically it's an elimination diet. But I don't like using the word elimination diet because people kind of go a little too intense with it. I would just say trial removal of certain foods and then please add it back within a reasonable time frame. Don't wait longer than three, four, five, six months. And definitely get some help. Okay, so then you might be wondering, okay, so I did this, you know, mini elimination diet, trial removal of foods, and I'm actually realizing that I'm reacting to certain foods. So it must be food that's the problem. That is also another misconception that I hear is that, okay, if I'm itching from certain foods, then the food's the problem. So I'm going to remove that on my diet and never eat it again. Here's the thing, okay? Some people have actual food intolerances. For example, 
people who have lactose intolerance, they will not eat anything with dairy in it because they get bloating, they get gas, they get constipated. Actually, no, they get <laughs> diarrhea usually. And so they choose to leave that out of their diet. However, there are other reasons as to why you react to foods. And this is related to the gut. Not the food that's the problem. We have to think about what happens when you eat a food, you chew it, and then you swallow it, and then it literally goes through your stomach, your gut, your digestion, everything. And then it gets pooped out. What happens during that process? Your body's literally digesting or the food that you ate. So if your body is not able to digest properly or metabolize the food or break down the food, then yes, there's a possibility of you reacting to the food that you ate. Here's the thing, okay? Your gut microbiome plays a huge, huge role when it comes to food sensitivities, believe it or not. The more diverse your gut microbiome is, the more that it protects you from developing food sensitivities. What the gut microbiome does, a million things, first of all, but it actually helps to metabolize compounds from food. Now think about it. If your microbiome, if your gut health isn't optimal, then it's going to struggle a lot with breaking down food. It's going to struggle a lot with metabolizing compounds from the food. So if that happens, then you've got these food particles that are just floating around and they're going to leak into the bloodstream through the gut lining because let's say your gut lining is damaged and cause eczema, but also you may develop food sensitivities to those foods in question. Not only this, when you have low microbial diversity, meaning you have more of the bad bacteria versus the good bacteria, and you have dysbiosis going on, whether it's bacterial or candida, for example, this also can cause food sensitivities as well. So then you want to think about, okay, so it really isn't the food that's the problem. It's how my digestion and how my gut microbiome is. And if you can heal your gut and work on your digestion, then you're able to heal some of the food sensitivities that you might be experiencing. So that's something to keep in mind of that I don't want you guys to start fearing food and thinking that food is a problem when it comes to your skin. I would say that 95% of my clients don't actually have problems with food. They think they have a problem with food, so then they avoid it for too long and then it actually becomes a problem. Figure out what your root causes are. Is it the gut? Is it the liver? Is it something else? Because that is really going to help you figure out what to do moving forward. Just jumping into a diet is not the solution that you want to go for because there's more cons than pros to it. And again, you don't want to end up developing allergies to foods from avoiding them for too long. Okay, so the answer to today's episode about whether or not you should avoid foods for eczema, clearly it is a no. However, obviously there are some foods that do impact our health we have to be mindful of, okay? The sugar, the gluten, there's a lot of research behind what gluten does to the gut. I'll save that for a different episode. 
anything deep fried, anything too processed, we know those are the ones that can definitely impact our skin. However, if you're avoiding random foods like vegetables and fruit and all the foods that have a lot of nutrients in them, then I really invite you to think about what is the reasoning why you're doing this? Does it make sense? And is there a better solution that is long term? I also have to mention too is that we have to be realistic when it comes to our diet. Nobody's diet is perfect. There are going to be times where you want to eat chips, just like how I am right now at nine o'clock at night. And there are going to be times when you want to have a burger, you want to have a slice of pizza, you want to have some fries. And that's totally okay. You really have to think about the grand scheme of things when it comes to your diet. If you are generally a pretty healthy person 80% of the time and you cook your meals, you're conscious of what you eat, um, you focus on the whole foods, then there is nothing wrong with having a processed meal once in a while. Like 80% of the time you're eating well, that 20% is really not going to make an impact on your healing. And that's something I always tell my clients is that think about the grand scheme of things, okay? If you are literally good for the most part, having that one meal is going to be fine. Nothing is going to be wrong. I literally eat chips <laughs> every night sometimes and I don't worry about it because I know that 90% of the time I'm you know, focused on my whole foods and I focus on getting nutrients in my diet. So I'm not going to freak out about a bowl of potato chips or something deep fried the night before. So I want to be realistic here because the more that we are realistic, the less stressed out we're going to be feeling about our diet. The moment that you feel stressed about your diet is when you should probably not be on a diet. And this is why I'm more about adding foods into your diet rather than avoiding foods when it's not necessary. I hope this episode gave you insight as to what to do moving forward with your diet. Hopefully, you're able to eventually come off of a restrictive diet if this is something that you're stuck with. This is honestly my wheelhouse. I help my clients with their diet. I help my clients with their nutrition. Um, I've helped a lot of clients actually come off of restrictive dieting. And I will say 99% of my clients are now eating more of a whole foods diet without any unnecessary food restrictions. And their skin is healing faster because we were able to figure out their root causes without needing to avoid any unnecessary foods. If you need help with this, please don't hesitate to reach out. We do this inside my Clear Eczema program as well as my one-on-one -on -one coaching. And of course, we also focus on other factors that matter too, as well as, for example, finding your root causes, supplements, mindset is a big component, tools for managing stress, skincare, all the things you need to know on how to heal your eczema without you having to waste your time figuring it out on your own. We do this inside the program. Uh, we're taking new clients right now inside Clear Your Eczema so you can apply at the show notes below. Now, before I let you go, if you guys can please, please, please leave me a review. This is really going to help the podcast grow. It is really dependent on reviews and obviously listeners. Even if you just literally leave like five words <laughs> and a rating, that is going to be really helpful. And you also get a free visualization if you leave a review on Apple iTunes. All right. I hope you found today's episode helpful. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram and I will see you guys in the next episode.
Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Now, before I let you go, I want to let you know I have this amazing free eczema visualization meditation. This visualization has helped me so much in my healing. It has helped me manifest skin healing faster than I ever imagined. My clients and I use it. We use it all the time in our group coaching calls. And it's honestly the best tool to use when it comes to healing. Now, if you want this visualization, all you have to do is leave us a review and give us a rating, take a screenshot of this podcast and your review, send it to our email at hello at juliachen.com and you will receive this amazing free visualization. Trust me, you're not going to want to miss out on this one. This visualization has literally changed my life. My clients and I do this every night before bed or even first thing in the morning, and it helps them heal flares faster. Okay, look forward to hearing your review and we will see you soon.